Thank you for joining us for this message. Whether you are watching for the first time or are simply catching up on a message you miss, we are so glad you are connecting to God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you will experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. May you be inspired by the word today. Amen. Well, if you couldn't figure out from that video, we're starting a new series today, and it's called Why Do Church? And I'm going to kick it off today with the first topic, which is church is God's plan. Will you say that with me? Church is God's plan. Church is God's plan. Say it one more time. Church is God's plan. Church. Amen. And so um, uh, we are going to uh, dive into how we know church is God's plan. I want to thank Eddie for coming back up to help with the reading of the word. If you have your device with you, I love saying that in the 21st century. Uh, let's read our text. And in reverence to the scripture, if you're able, if you'll please stand and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. I'll start off with verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. In verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by that very joint applies, according to the effective work by which every part does share. Because growth is of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to hear your word. And so, God, I ask that you hide me behind your cross. I ask that your word go forth unfettered in power and authority. And God, I pray that the truth of your word will fall on good ground of our heart, that it will take root and grow up and bear fruit in our lives. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. You may be seated. Get yourself comfortable. Church is God's plan. First of all, if you're new to KCC, we again welcome you. I'm Debbie Turner-Bell, the leadership and discipleship pastor here. And um, uh, Pastor Mick is away this week, uh, our lead pastor, but I, he has been praying uh, for us and for this service all, uh, all week long. And uh, even overnight, we were texting back and forth of us, cause, back and forth because neither of us could sleep uh, during the night. And I'm just expecting a mighty move of God today. Amen? How many know that when you expect God to move, that he will honor that expectation? Amen? 
we're going to talk about the church, but, uh, and as we begin to learn about the church, you're going to learn that there is power and authority that comes with being the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. And so I want to invite you to raise your expectation. Whatever it is that you need from the Lord, whether it is a physical need or a need in your family or a spiritual need or an emotional or psychological need or even a financial need, I want your spirit to sit up on the edge of its seat and expect God to do a mighty work today. Can you do that with me? Amen. That's my expectation. I know that we are the, the remnant from, uh, from spring break. There are a lot of faces that are not here because they're already off on spring break, and we pray for them, but um, we are going to expect a move of God. So I remember, I grew up, I'm a church baby, uh, and if you heard me speak or preach before, I've told a lot of stories about my upbringing, um, but my mother uh, came back to the Lord when I was a young girl after having backslid for a few years. And when she came back, man, she came back hard. And we went to church every time the doors flew open. And I tell you, we were there for regular service, for evening service, for revivals, for camp meetings, for uh, intercessory prayer, for shut-ins, we were for tent revivals, all of that. We were there for all of it, and we got there uh, pretty much when the service started, and we stay, stayed well past when the benediction was spoken. Uh, and uh, so I grew up in church, and I remember as a little girl, church was entertaining to me. You know, we've become so dignified with church now. We, we have these, you know, 59-minute, 59-second services, and sometimes it doesn't give us the opportunity to enjoy some of uh, the things that I got to enjoy growing up because they were long services. And as a young child, I would find ways to entertain myself. And uh, I remember there was one of the mothers of the church, Miss Pittman, and she was mean. And even though she loved the Lord with all her heart, she had the biggest style on her face all the time, and she would, this was back in the days when the ushers wore a, a white, almost looked like a nurse's dress, right? A white uniform with white gloves on, and she would carry a fan in her hand, and she would have one hand behind her back, and she would rove the rows looking for kids chewing gum. And if he, she saw you chewing gum, in many, many cases it was me chewing gum, she would come right in front of you and hold that fan right under your mouth and you'd have to spit the gum on the fan. And so uh, the goal was to learn how to not chew when Miss Pittman was looking your way so you wouldn't have to give up your gum on a fan. And I remember uh, the, the ushers during uh, the uh, offering time, you know, back in those days we would what we call march during that. So everyone would uh, come from their seats up the aisles and put their offering in an offering basket that was in the front of the church. And then the ushers and the deacons were the last one and they would be in, uh, in two lines and they, and they would come doing their little, you know, usher strut, whatever they're doing, and they'd cut that corner like they were in the military. You know, oh, that was, that was better than TV to me. And I used to love seeing, now I grew up in an AME church, a Methodist church, and so it was very conservative. But my mother grew up Pentecostal or holiness. And so we would go to AME during the morning, and then we would go to the holiness church in the evening for a Sunday evening service. And oh, man, I love those services because in those services it was lively. There was a lot of great mu music, and everybody, you know, would clap and have the rhythm. And then, you know, some of them really get... You know, they would really get down with it. And when they, then the, quote, unquote, the spirit would fall and somebody would start, they'd get happy and start shouting, right? And I used to love it when some of the ladies would shout because my friends and I, we would take breaths on who shouted out of their wig. 
or when they finished shouting, the wig would be like cockeyed, you know. And then there were the, the, the ladies, the younger ladies that maybe had been at a nightclub or somewhere all night before church and they would come in church still wearing their nightclub outfit. And I loved them because they would, they would shout all the way to the front. They couldn't shout in the back where they sat. They would shout all the way to the front and it never failed, a piece of clothing would fall off. They shout out of something. And this was great, great entertainment for me. And this is what church was. I remember uh, uh, it was a small little church in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and there weren't many members, and all the members were uh, either blue-collar workers or shift workers, so no one was wealthy. And so we were always raising money for something to fix a leak or replace the roof or get a new lawnmower, whatever it was, and there was always a fish fryer or a car wash raising money for whatever the church Needed, And then, finally, I'll tell you my last memory of church growing up. Uh, in the Pentecostal church, in the Church of God in Christ, they had an annual convention called Convocation. And it was held in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, the members of the Church of God in Christ, or Kojic, would come from all over the world, descend on Memphis for the Convocation. And, and it was a week long, I believe. And one of the nights, there would be something called the Midnight Musical. Uh, and for those of you who know gospel, this was back in the days uh, that the head of the music department of convocation was uh, Maddie Moss Clark and her daughters, the Clark sisters. And she would sit there on that big old orn, uh, organ and they would literally sing down heaven. And uh, it would be so awesome. Now, it's amazing that I even know that because by the time I got old enough, I didn't have to sit with my mom during convocation. So I could get up and sit with my friends. Well, we never sat in the, in the convention center. We were walking around, wandering, looking for cute boys and all that kind of thing. So I could hear the Clark sisters in there looking for a miracle. Uh, but uh, I was out running around. So church was this, it was a social outlet. It was fun. It was funny. Sometimes it was drab and boring. Um, but it was this thing. And I didn't understand the power of church back then. Now I want to invite you to look around and look at our church. Just take a look around. Look at our church. What do you see? Now, if you're looking at the seats or the altar or the instruments or the flags, you're not looking at the church. Now I want you to look at the person to your right and to your left. That's the church. You see, we as the people of God are the church. The church is the global collective group of all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Those who are in a covenant relationship with God through his son are the church. The church is God's people. It is not a place, it is not a building, it is not a denomination, it is not a conference, it's not a community group, it's not a Bible study, it's not a program. The church is the people of God. Can I get you to say amen? amen. 
You see, we, we hear this all the time, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. That means that it is our job as the collective body of Christ, as the believers to go out and to love the world in the way that Jesus would love them and would have us love them. We are a reflection of the love of God for his people. Or we should be. I like the way one preacher put it. One preacher harkens back to, if you're old enough, you'll remember the movie, The Invisible Man. You remember The Invisible Man? It was literally about, uh, I think he was a villain, uh, or he became a villain over the course of the movie, but he, he was invisible. You couldn't see him. And they finally figured out a way to track his movements or a way to figure out where he was was to throw something in his direction and cover him with paint or cover him with flour or with sawdust. And then you could see the outline of the invisible man and to be able to track his movements. Well, one preacher put it this way, that the love in the local church is the paint that makes the invisible Christ visible in the community. But the church though, or let me say it this way, church has fallen out of vogue. Attendance is way down, especially since the pandemic, pandemic, but not only because of the pandemic. According to a Gallup poll, in 2020, 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church. That was the first time it had gone below 50% since Gallup kept the statistics. Compare that to 70% of Americans belong to a church just back in 1999. They say this is mainly due to more and more people not espousing any kind of religion at all. In fact, in, in 1998, only 8% of the population said that they had no religion, were affiliated with no religion. That has grown to 21% just in the last three years. So that's one of the reasons for the decline of church, more and more people leaving what they call religion. Also, though, there are many people who believe in Jesus or who believe in faith. However, they don't become members of a church. You can uh, associate membership directly to generation or age. 66% of all what the Gallup called traditionalists or those born before 1946 are church members. Only 58% of baby boomers are church members. 50% of Gen Xers are church members, and 36% of millennials are church members. And yes, COVID has affected church attendance. Now, post-COVID, there are 36 to 60% of the people in churches than before COVID. We can look around and see that. And people have all kinds of reasons for not going to church anymore. There are a lot of people who say they're spiritual, but they don't believe in organized religion. They don't go to church because they think churches are manipulative or just after their money or there are too many hypocrites in church or that they don't need to go to church to have a relationship with God. Now, I'm just here to tell you there are a whole lot of reasons for not regularly attending church and not being engaged in church. But may I submit to you this morning that they're all excuses. You see, from the beginning, God wanted a relationship with his people. 
not just individuals, with his people. And the children of Israel's, uh, the children of Israel or the Israelites were his chosen people. And he made a covenant with the people. The Abrahamic covenant is with Abraham, but also with the people of God. He says, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And he said, they will be my people and I will be their God. As we look through the Old Testament, God is always trying to get the people to come back to him. Yes, he used individuals. He used judges and kings and priests to be go-betweens between God and man. But it was all in the effort for the people to have a relationship with God. And then we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and we see the birth of the new church, particularly in the book of Acts. And the church was established after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see it very clearly in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. It says this, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, everybody say church, added to the church daily those who were being saved. I don't have time to preach this message, but if we look at the early church model of evangelism, people got saved first and then came to church. We flip that on our heads. We invite people to church in hopes that they will get saved. But our early model shows that the disciples, the apostles, the believers went out into the world, into all nations, uh, evangelized, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. People's lives were changed. Hearts were touched. They were healed. They got saved, accepted Jesus as their Lord of Savior and Savior, and then became a part of the church. Now, when Luke wrote this in verse 47, it said, and these were added to the church daily, he wasn't talking about a building. He wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about the people. You see, our modern approach to salvation, and it's not a wrong approach per se, is that we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And he is. But the work of Jesus on the cross was not just for an individual. The work of Jesus on the cross was for the church. The church is to testify that Jesus is the son of God and that God sent Jesus to save the lost. And the church is to proclaim the praises of God. That's our job as the church. Ephesians 2, puts it this way. It declares that we, the church, are the dwelling place of God. Ephesians 4 tells us that we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and preachers for the building up of the body of Christ, and that there are many different gifts, and each joint supplies, not for the individual, but for the church to grow. Even when the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. Jesus' example of a prayer, and he didn't give them this prayer as, he didn't say pray this prayer, he said pray likewise. So he gave us a template, we call it the model prayer. 
And it is even exemplary of God's desire to be in relationship with the body of Christ. Just by the first word, our Father. He could have said, my Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But he starts the prayer off in the community of believers. Our Father, who art in heaven. In fact, most of Paul's letters that populate the New Testament were written to the church, were written to the group, not to the individual. So when he admonished the Romans to be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of their mind, he wasn't talking to an individual, he was talking to the church. When he said to present your body as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, is your reasonable service. He was talking to the church when he said flee sexual immorality. He was talking to the church when he said be holy just as God is holy. He's talking to the church. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. Let me take you to Ephesians 5. Can I just teach you for a minute? Is that all right? And then we're going to put this into practice as a church. I'm going to read a big section of Ephesians 5, but just stay with me. If you have it on your device, feel free to turn with it. One chapter later than our text. Starting in verse 25, it declares, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ gave himself for the church. Verse 26, he says, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Again, talking about the church. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And then Paul goes on to say, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. We, the church, are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We use this a lot in marriages, but this scripture is really about the church. And, he, and to make it clear in verse 32, he finishes with this. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see all this singing and worshiping and praying and praising and teaching and preaching is to prepare the church for the return of Christ. I got news for you. The Lord dropped this in my spirit as I was preparing this message. Jesus is not coming back just for you. Get over yourself. Well, he's coming back for his bride, for the church. And we are supposed to be a part of preparing the body of Christ for his return. I'll say it again, we are saved to be added to the church. It's just that simple, yet it's so profound. It begs the question then, why do so many people reject the notion of church? Why do so many people treat church like an optional activity? 
We come to church when we really feel up to it. We come to church when we have the right outfit. We come to church when we're having a good hair day. It gets a little too cold. Oh, can't come to church. It's cold outside. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Don't let it rain. Oh, it's raining. I believe I'll stay in, especially now that we can stream. And I'm so glad that you are joining us via streaming. But we treat church like it's an, uh, a value added, like it's a crouton on a salad bar. Oh, I feel like a crouton today. Oh, no, I'm watching my carbs. I'm not going to take the crouton. However, we're not that way about other parts of our lives. I challenge you to treat your job that way. We show up at our job no matter how we feel. Matter of fact, as a culture, until COVID, we would show up our, at our job coughing and hacking and sneezing and spreading cooties to everybody because we were supposed to be there. We show up at our job, whether it's rain or shine, whether there's snow or not snow, whether we feel like it or we don't feel like it. How much more important is it to come together as the body of Christ and worship our living God? I'm almost finished, y'all, because we're going to put this into action. So here's the thing. Why is there such a pushback from, uh, uh, from people about the church? This is what I want you to walk away with if you remember nothing else. The enemy wants us to be casual about the church or even hostile towards the church because he knows the power that the church of the living God has. And if he can convince us to be lackadaisical and some days in it and some days out of it, if he can convince us to treat church as optional, he knows I've got them. I can come in and kill, steal, and destroy. How many of you know that the scripture tells us that the wisdom of God is revealed through the church. It is the church that is, should be anointed with the spirit of wisdom and, and revelation that we might know God and that our eyes are enlightened. It is the church that is the hope of God's calling. It is the church that shows the exceeding greatness of the power of God. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The same power that put Jesus at the right hand of the Father. The same power that is above every principality, power, might, and dominion. Minion, that same power that is above every name that has been named, that same power that puts the enemy under Jesus' feet, that same power that was given to Jesus, and he turned around and he gave it to us, the church. If we will come together, there's nothing that can stop us. And the enemy knows that. The enemy knows that. And is very, very willing to deceive you with the notion that you don't need the church in order to be a Christian. Yeah, you can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and not come to church. Yeah, you can do that, but you're missing out on a whole lot of power. You see, the enemy knows that as the church, we have boldness and confidence to approach the throne of God. But do you? The enemy knows that when two or three are gathered together in the name of God, there he is in the midst. But do you know that? 
The enemy knows that when we are on one accord, that whatever we ask the Father in the name of Jesus, it shall be done for us. The enemy knows that one can set a thousand to flight and two can set ten thousand to flight. The enemy knows that God can do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can think or ask according to the power of God that works in us. The enemy knows that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Do you? The enemy knows that whatever we bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Properly translated, that's what that scripture actually means, that whatever we loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. You see, the power of the church is so great that the enemy rails against it, tries to convince us that it's an alternate thing, that it's an optional thing. That's why he's deceived people into thinking that we don't need the church. That's why he's deceived people into thinking that the church is a building. That's why he's deceived people into thinking that the church is nothing but a bunch of money grubbers, corrupt hypocrites. He knows that if we reject the true church of God, that it's game over, that he can come in and pillage and steal and kill and destroy. I am here to declare to you, my sisters and brothers, as the church, we are to reveal the glory and the power of God. Our deliverance is in the church. Our stability in our faith is in the church. Our hope is in the church. Our power is in the church. And if we will get that straight, there's no devil in hell that can do anything about it. Can I get an amen? Oh, y'all, we've been walking around way below our privileges. That's why, that's why Pastor Mick asked us to come a little early and pray before the service. That's why he, he uh, asked us to come at least once a month for the night of prayer, to pray as a corporate body. Yes, we should be praying every day individually. And yes, we should be praying with our spouse. And yes, we should be praying with our family. But you see, there is something about praying as the church that shakes the enemy and does damage to the kingdom of darkness. I submit to you that if you are dealing with hell in your life, if you're dealing with wayward children, if you are living with disease and sickness, or if you are struggling in your mind for peace and stability, I challenge you to come together as the church. Let's touch and agree and watch God hear from heaven and watch the enemy flee in the name of Jesus. If you believe it, can you say amen? I want to do a quick illustration of the difference between praying as an individual and then praying corporately as the church. If I'm here as one person, and I didn't, I didn't warn communications that I was going to do this, I'm going to take this down. I'm going to ask you to turn my mic off for just a second. And amazing grace. All
And that's the difference between you praying as an individual and praying as a part of the body of Christ. I'm gonna ask Paula to come on up and the praise team to begin to make ready. I wanna put that into action right now. I would like for us as the corporate body of Christ to utilize the power and the authority that we have as the church of the living God and bombard heaven on behalf of us, KCC, on behalf of the church universal, on behalf of our city and our nation, on behalf of our family, on behalf of the Ukrainians and the Eastern Europeans that are in the war ravaged zone, I'd like for us to come together as the church and pray. Now this is how I'd like to invite you to do it. If you're comfortable with this, I wanna invite you to come to the altar. And I want you to get in groups of three and four. You can stay at your seat, but I wanna invite you though to take part in corporate pair. If you don't mind doing that, I'm gonna ask you just to stand up from where you are in the balcony on the galleries and come and just fill this space here. We're going to pray together as the church. As you come, I want you to get in your heart what it is that you need from the Lord. Is it an unsaved loved one? Is it healing of your body? Do you need peace? Do you need deliverance from anxiety, depression? Is the enemy attacking your family, attacking your ministry, attacking your marriage, whatever it is? And I believe as we gather together here, just come on, and if we fill up in the front here, just be in the aisles together. I believe God is going to honor the unity amongst his people. If you'll find two or three people around you, and you can just circle up if you feel comfortable. If you'd like to hold hands, I invite you to do that. The scripture says, we're two agree, three, agree touching, whatever your comfort level is. And we're gonna pray. And here's the thing, it's not gonna be just me praying. Remember the difference between just me singing and all of us singing? We're gonna put that into practice in prayer. I might pray a little bit. I've asked um, Lawrence to also help us in worship, but I want you to pray with your voice. Now, I want you to be free in your prayer. I know many of us grew up very differently than I did in my Pentecostal loud background. But if you yelled and screamed for any of the elite eight or final four are gonna yell and scream for the championship, then you can, uh, cry out to God, amen? We need to bring some of that uh, uh, animation right here into church. But I want you to pray. We're gonna all pray at the same time and pray about what the Holy Spirit leads you to pray about. If you'd like to inform the people in your group what you'd like for them to pray, you can go ahead. But we're just gonna take a minute and as the body of Christ, we're going to bombard heaven. And I believe by faith in the name of Jesus that God is going to hear your prayers and that he is going to act on your behalf. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Go ahead. Begin to pray.
Go ahead, right there where you are, begin to pray. Use your voice, use your vocal cords. Begin to pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you need to cry out, cry out. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. If you need to clap, clap. If you need to shout, shout. Be free. Continue praying, but if you've prayed what you know to pray, I want you to just begin to worship God. Just begin to praise Him. Just begin to thank Him. You thank Him. You worship Him. God, I thank you that you are powerful. I thank you that you heard our prayers. I thank you that you're working in our homes. I thank you that you're working. 
job. I thank you that you're sending me the job that I need. I thank you, Lord, that there's peace in my mind. I thank you that you're drawing closer to me as I draw closer to you. Just begin to worship God. God, you're awesome. God, you're mighty. God, you're lovely. God, you're altogether lovely. God, you're totally other. God, you're holy. God, there's no one like you. Oh, you're mighty. Oh, and we love you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. I feel the presence of the Lord. I feel the presence of the Lord. Thank you, God, for showing up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to have to come to an end now. As you uh, make your way back to your seat, I want to challenge you with some action steps. Don't let this be the last time you pray corporately with the body of Christ. If you have treated church like it is optional, I encourage you to change your thinking today. I challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit where you're supposed to be engaged and involved in the life of the church. And then take steps of faith to be obedient to where God has called you. I challenge you to commit to fervent corporate prayer. And we have one already, fourth Fridays of every month, Friday nights of prayer on Friday nights. Commit to coming. Let's stop treating church like it's optional. Amen? Can you give the Lord some praise? Hallelujah.